As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, you'll see that text listed for you in the bulletin. It'll also be up on the screen for you. Well, it seems to me that of all of us here, there's really just two types of people. Two types of people that are here. Those of you who love surprises and those of you who don't like surprises so much. Uh, for, the, for the people who like to plan their lives, uh, the people who really are planning every detail of their lives, uh, they're not always too excited about surprises. They, they love things going according to plan. But for some of us happy-go-lucky people, uh, surprises can be fun, kind of turns in the road, uh, something new and exciting. Well, the good news about Easter is we have reason to celebrate, no matter if you're one of those two camps. If you're someone here who uh, loves surprises, let me tell you, Easter morning is the biggest surprise of all. The God's son that they crucified and and nailed to a cross, the one who was dead and and buried, the one who remained in that tomb uh, for three days, he's alive. I mean, the surprise that this is God's plan. But for those of you who like things going according to plan, Easter may surprise you. Because as bizarre as the story may sound, and as crazy as it is that that God would love you and love me so much to send his son to die and then be put in a grave and then be resurrected according to God's word, this is like all happened according to plan. This was God's plan from the beginning. This morning, this Easter service, uh, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the plan. What is God's plan? We're going to look at the hinge. Which makes this plan succeed or fail? And then we're going to look at the victory. But here's the beautiful reality of our living God is he wants to speak to you this morning. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you bring into here, no matter if you grew up religious, you didn't, if you're just hearing about the name of Jesus or you spoke it since you were a baby, God loves you. And wants to communicate to you. He wants to do it through his word. And through the preaching of his word. So let's open up our Bibles or or turn in our bulletins to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 26. And then skip to verses 54 through 58. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote these words. Uh, He wrote them to a church uh, in Corinth. I've had the privilege of being there. It's absolutely a beautiful city just north of Athens uh, on the water. It's a port city. Uh, As he wrote this letter, he's wrote another letter. He might have even written three. Um, We have this, but but Scripture tells us it wasn't just Paul who wrote this. The Holy Spirit actually breathed his very being upon Paul and gave us God's Word. And, And of all of God's Word, this gives us the most vivid description of the resurrection This is God's plan, and this is God's victory. So this Easter morning, will you hear this victory that God has given to us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Hear God's word. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, in which you stand, and by which you 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 are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, well, this is Peter, also known as Peter, and then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, to one, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. Now if the resurrection, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and, and your faith is in vain. For we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's turn to 54. You can pick up in the middle of that. Then shall come to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord... Your labor is not in vain. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that we have the privilege this morning of gathering in your name and celebrating the life that reigns in your son. And God, I thank you for this text that's before us. It's so clear that the resurrection means everything in your story. If it's true that Christ is 
living and was resurrected from the dead, we have been forgiven. And we have life that reigns in Christ Jesus. And if it's not true, well, we're dead. Our faith is futile. Our preaching is futile. We might as well eat and drink because tomorrow we die. And God, I pray that, that you would come with such power through the preaching of your word, through a broken sinner like me, that, that God, that we could see the truth that Jesus really is alive. God, would you give us ears to, to even hear his voice this morning through his word? Would you give us minds to understand your word and, and what this means for us? Oh God, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch each one of our hearts. That there wouldn't be a heart here that doesn't embrace your son as Savior this morning. And God, where our hearts are, are just stone cold because of sin, would you lovingly break them? Where our hearts are just dark with unbelief, would you shine into them? And God, we pray that you would be with your people with such power that, that when we walk out of here, we'd be able to walk in a manner worthy of your name. The things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like Jesus. But the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. We pray that you and you alone receive glory. And your people receive great joy and great challenge. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You'll find in your bulletin on the first page a outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see is the plan. Is this plan. Scripture tells us that before time began, God planned. Before he created anything. Before God spoke and the world came into existence. He planned. He had a plan for you. He, he had a plan for me. It says that even before some tragic events happened here in the Garden of Eden, some tragic events where, where we rebelled against God and we were separated from him, even before those tragic events, God planned. God planned a rescue. He planned a plan that will fix everything that was broken. Think about that. A plan that would fix everything that, that was broken because of sin and rebellion. He had a plan. His plan was to rescue everything that was lost that was his. Every single one that, that he loved in a special, unique way. Every sheep that he would call by name. He had a plan. He had a plan for you. Before time began, he had a plan to rescue you. He had a plan. He had a plan to restore all things. I mean, he knew what would happen. Uh, he knew what would be happened to his creation that he called good, a place where man and God could dwell together in harmony. And look what happened because of our sins. And yet, God had a plan. A plan to make everything beautiful in his time. A plan to restore all things even better than they originally were. A plan for you and me. But his plan was this, this for God to have a plan to do all those things is God had a plan to come and, and cure the disease. I mean, God couldn't come and just treat the symptoms. He had to come and, and bring a cure, a cure at the heart of everything that was broken. And, and according to Scripture, the disease that we all have, the disease that's caused us to live in such a fallen world, it's, it's sin. 
That's it. It's simple. What, what, what happened to our world? We, we rebelled. We sinned against the holy God. And, you know, God was loving enough to warn us. He gave us life, but he says in the book of Genesis, he says, but if we sin and we turn away, we shall surely die. A curse would come. And don't we see it? I mean, death is so close to us. It's all around us. I mean, how many empty seats are in here because of loved ones who, who have gone? I mean, how much of our lives is broken because of the curse? He told us. He said, listen, your rebellion is going to bring sin. Sin is going to bring death. And it's going to affect all things. The prophet Ezekiel says that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Well, Scripture also says that there's not a soul that doesn't sin since the fall. And we all look forward, sadly, to death. But... But God had a plan. Listen, but God had a plan. And I want you to know this about our God. It's not a contingent plan. God wasn't up in heaven and he saw us and thought, oh my goodness, they're going the wrong way. Oh my goodness, they're rebelling. Oh my goodness, they're sinning. Oh my goodness, death is now here. What do I do? I better come up with a plan quick. No, 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 no. Before any of those events happened, before any of that took place, God had a plan. God had a plan to say, death isn't gonna win, life will. God had a plan. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill the disease of sin. I'm going to crush it. I got a plan, a plan for you. It's an eternal plan. You see, this is the good news. This is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see unfolding on the cross. We see coming to life on the third day. It was an eternal plan of God. This is a plan of what God has done. That's the good news. This is a plan of what God has executed. This is the good news. This is God's plan that, that we receive, that we see, receive by God's grace and we embrace by faith in which we are saved, in which we, are sta- we stand. So when Paul is addressing the church of Corinth, he says, I want to tell you what's primary. I want to tell you what's most important. I want to tell you what's first in line. And what he's telling you this is this. I want to tell you the plan." You got to know the plan. This is God's plan. And he says this, Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. I love that. He's basically saying, hey, by the way, the game book was this, that Christ would come, that Christ would be the sinless one. Uh, the Bible calls him the spotless Lamb of God, the one who would come to, to live the life that we should have lived, but he's the one who, who died the death we deserve. That he died in our place. Remember the soul that sinneth shall surely die. And yet Jesus who never sinned says, but I'll I'll die in their place. You see, the plan is this, is that Christ would die in our place. He was buried. Scripture wants us to know that he wasn't just sleeping. He wasn't just knocked out. Um, He didn't need some, just some kind of miracle of just reviving because he wasn't really dead. He, He was dead. He was in the tomb. He was buried. But Scripture says he was raised on the third day. And again, it tells us according to Scriptures, according to plan. This is God's plan. Christ died for sins. Christ was buried. Christ was raised from the dead. This is the plan. This is how God drew it up before time began. The beautiful thing about the Bible is it's really one story. It's this one story unfolding of the plan. This is the plan. 
And every, every prophet in the Old Testament, every prophet who spoke, he was pointing to Jesus that would come. Every, every single promise that was made of God is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Paul would say uh, in Corinthians, he would say all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So every prophet that spoke pointed, pointed to the plan. There is one who would come, but there's more. Every priest that interceded with God for God's people. Every, every priest who, who slaughtered a, a lamb or who slaughtered a bull or who slaughtered a goat. I mean, every priest that brought blood to the altar is a sacrifice. And why do they do something so gory? Well, it says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so the people were so sinful. And, and so there in the temple, you have the priest slaughtering over and over and over and over again. But every lamb that was slaughtered, every goat, every bull, it pointed, it pointed to Jesus. It pointed to the one who, who was truly the lamb of God. John would say, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of God's people. And the writer of Hebrews would say, listen, the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, they, they don't take away your sin. Only the lamb of God, Jesus, could take away your sin. Here's the point. You can't fix yourself. Whatever plan you have, you can't get it right. You you can't sacrifice enough in your life. You can't give enough. You you can't be nice enough. I mean, the chasm's too great. That's why Jesus came. He came to be the ultimate sacrifice. And every high priest pointed to him. Every king that ruled. Every king that ruled over God's people, every, every king that, that triumphed over God's uh, enemies was pointing to Jesus, the one who would come that would conquer our greatest enemy, sin and death, the one who would come and open up even heaven. I mean, it's Jesus. This was the plan, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the plan. There is no other plan. There's no other one. There's no other way. There's no other hope. There's no one else coming. I mean, this is it. My brothers and sisters, this is God's plan, that Christ would die for your sins, that Christ would be buried because of our sins, and that he would rise again from the dead on the third day. This is the plan. This is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. When it comes to the plan, well, we we can't change the plan. We can't add to the plan. We can't alter the plan. The bottom line is this, is we either embrace it or we walk away from it. Let me ask about you. How is it with you? Are you working God's plan? Are you living with God's plan or do you have your own? Because it's very clear. It's of first importance. Let me tell you what God has done. The plan is this. Christ died for sins. Christ was buried. Christ was resurrected. Then we have the hinge in verses 12 through 26. Well, if that's God's plan, you know what we all need to ask? Did it work? I mean, did the plan work? Was it mission accomplished? I don't know about you, but sometimes I turn on a TV or flip on my iPad the news and say, man, did the plan work? I mean, really? Mission was accomplished? 
Scripture says that the resurrection is such the hinge that we got to understand this. It's not enough. It is not enough that God became man. How marvelous is that is, the incarnation we celebrate. It's not enough that God became man. It's not enough that Jesus lived a perfect life and thus fulfilled the requirements of holy God. It's not enough that he is taught like no other. It's not enough that he healed the disease, that he opened the eyes of the blind, or that he even raised the dead. It's not enough. It's not enough that he was even crucified on the cross. It's not enough. We need a resurrection. Without it, everything fails. I love what scripture says. Listen, this is, this is reality. This is God's word. If he ha- wasn't resurrected from the dead on the third day, the plan didn't work. Let me make sure you understand that. If Jesus is still in the tomb, if he has become fertilizer for the daisies outside of Jerusalem, if he became dust like we have become, we become dust, the plan utterly failed. God's mission was not accomplished. And what he planned before time began crashed and burned. Here's what scripture says. Our preaching is vain. vain. I'm wasting your time and I'm wasting mine. Our our faith is futile and vanity. If, If Jesus isn't alive, why believe in him now? If he's not raised from the dead, it's it's futile. Scripture says that if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, that we are still in our sins, which means this. The sacrifice in our place didn't work. The payment that Jesus made on our behalf wasn't received if there's no resurrection. It'd be kind of like this. Can you imagine winning a, 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 having a winning lotto ticko, ticket? How much money do we want the lotto ticket to be for? 50? 50 million, I'm hoping, Jim. Okay. Let's say you got a winning lottery ticket of $50 million. Right numbers, everything's right. And you go and you turn in your winning lottery ticket of $50 million. Say, hey, I have just won $50 million. And they take it and say, yep, these are the right numbers. We got some bad news, though. The state is bankrupt. We can't pay you anything. We don't have the funds. It's going to bounce. You want to frame your ticket? You won. But you get nothing. You see, if there was no resurrection, it's basically saying, It's a bankrupt offering. There's insufficient funds. And the worst part about that, it says that we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. We still got a problem that separates us from God. We we can't fix on our own. And because of that, it says, again, I love just the honesty of Scripture. It says, if that's true, of all people, we're the most to be pitied. (laughs) We're fools. We're idiots. We're dumbbells. That's us. If there's no resurrection, we're just have this big sham every week, gathering and singing to nothing. And again, he says, you know, we might as well make the most of it now. If there's no resurrection, you might as well go home and get the best food you can get, the best wine. You might as well eat and drink, because here's the hope. Tomorrow you die. And that's it. If Jesus remained in the grave... The plan failed. But, 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 if Jesus was resurrected, God's eternal plan worked. If Jesus was resurrected, ready for this? Our sins are truly forgiven. He really has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. If death has been defeated, uh, then 
we know that life reigns. It says that, kind of points back to Genesis, that death came because of the result of one man, uh, Adam. And because of him, all died. But through one man, Jesus, life now reigns. Scripture says that now because of the resurrection, the heavenly's doors are open for us. Peace with God, Romans 5.1, has been established. Think about that. Holy God, right now, you can have peace with him. Right now, you can know and love him. Scripture says that if he's alive, grace abounds. Grace abounds. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. Great is his faithfulness. If he's alive, if listen, if he's alive, this is what it means. The, the wrath of God is appeased. That, that when God poured out his wrath and judgment on his son and his son cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If he's alive, God's no longer angry. I mean, he has been appeased through the sacrifice of his son. If Jesus is alive, eternal life is ours. If Jesus is alive, life and life abundantly is ours. You see, this is the hinge. The resurrection is absolutely the hinge. The resurrection of Christ is what separates Christianity from all other beliefs and all other religions. If Jesus is alive, everything changes. Did you hear that? If Jesus is alive, everything matters. If Jesus is alive, God's plan worked. This is the ultimate good news. This, my brothers and sisters, is the hinge of history. This is the hinge for humanity. And the question is this. Is this the hinge for your life? Is this what your whole life hangs on? What does your life turn on? What is your life hinged upon? My hope rests in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness and an empty tomb. The reality that Jesus secured victory. And that's the third point. The victory. Because of God's plan, it was perfectly executed by Jesus. I mean, how many times have you stopped and wondered, saying, God, this was your plan all along? Okay, let me get this right. Your plan was for a virgin named Mary, you know, probably some teenage girl, to become pregnant. Uh, your plan was for the fullness of time that your son would be born in a manger. This is your plan. It's a good plan, right? Your plan is that some shepherds out in the field are going to be the first one to know. This is your plan. This is your plan. You're going to have your boy raised in some obscure place called Nazareth and, and grow up. And when he's 30 years old, your plan is to anoint him with your Holy Spirit and to empower him. And so he would have three years of ministry on this earth. Now, your plan was for him to get 12 disciples that would absolutely deny him and run away from him at crucifixion. Your plan was for Judas to sell him with 30 pieces of silver. Your plan was for Pontius Pilate to crucify him. Your plan was for him to die and be buried. Your plan was to be resurrected to life. That is the absurdity and the beauty of God's plan. And because of that reality, we have something called victory. Victory in Christ Jesus. Jesus has won the ultimate victory. It says this in uh, chapter, uh, verse 54, that the sting of death has been removed. What is the sting? I mean, the sting is sin. The penalty is death has been paid. Its power has been defeated. 
The victory is secured even now. There's no wondering, is he going to win? He has won. The victory is here now. It says in verse 25 that he is reigning even now. But oh, how clearly we know the final victory has not been ushered in yet. Do we not know that? Is there still not brokenness and longing in our lives? Is there still not tears that run down our cheeks? He says, I've defeated death, but I haven't completely wiped it out yet. I'm going to reign until I do. I am in control. Victory is yours. But there's more to come. The final victory has not yet finally arrived. Death has been swallowed up in victory, but not all of it, not fully. We can taste the champagne now, but we haven't heard the last trumpet sound. And he makes this conclusion. He says, basically, we have one or two options with the resurrection. It's either vanity or it's victory. Either life reigns because the kingdom of God truly has come, or there's nothing. He says this, he says that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. Basically saying that there's a harvest to come because he is resurrected from the dead. We will too. Right between a little passageway to a study I have is a huge gardenia bush. And it's one of my favorite bushes. It's probably typical of things in my yard. It's way out of control and it probably needs to be trimmed. But it just got more gardenias on it than you'd ever see. And, and they're just starting to bloom. Have you, have you ever smelled a gardenia? I mean, is there anything like it? And what I love about it is it's so much, it's got so many memories to it. They say the sense of smell is, is one of the strongest things of memory. And Katie grew up with a gardenia tree or, or bush or whatever they are. And she says, I, I just smell it. And I'm just immediately taken back. And I could see that they're starting to bloom. The first few buds have appeared. And as a matter of fact, I, I took my, high school, my college age son and a couple of his friends and I made him go smell it yesterday. <laughs> like, you guys got to smell this. They're like, you are the weirdest guy I know. And I, I took him over to the jasmine that's growing up our fence and said, you got to smell this. You got to smell this. This is, you got to just sit here and let me show you the roses that are blooming. You got to see this. When they resurrection the dead, Jesus is that, that, that first bloom. The first aroma of life over death. And I can see on my gardenia bush right now all these buds and they're, they're just about ready to explode. And I know that a, that a whole harvest is coming and pretty soon I'll be walking out my door and it'll be just covered with a beautiful bloom. It's the resurrection. He said he's the, he's the first one to appear, but a harvest is coming. Victory is ours. How is it with you in the resurrection are you participating in the victory or are you just watching from afar? Is it something that you're looking at saying, oh man, that's, that's an interesting event? Or has this changed your life forever? I mean, are you wearing the championship ring? Tomorrow, championship game, right? Someone's going to be cutting down the nets. We all thought it would be Kentucky. Sorry, Beth Lou, it's not. Breaks our heart, kind of. But it's a victory that really has nothing to do with me. You know, no matter if you went to Wisconsin, you went to Duke, I mean, maybe you got a little bit of stuff, but let's be honest with you, it's not really your victory. It's not the way it is with the resurrection. Jesus says, because I live, you live. Because I defeated death, you defeated death. Because I was resurrected, you were resurrected. Because I reign, you will reign too. Because I've conquered, you're going to conquer. Because I've made it home, you'll make it home. 
Because I'm united to the Father, you'll be united to the Father. That is the beautiful picture of the resurrection. His victory is our victory. Each of us stand at a crossroads. We have to. Either vanity or victory. If no resurrection, everything is vanity. Eat and drink because tomorrow you die. But if there is resurrection, you have victory. And scripture says nothing about your life is vain. Nothing about your living. Nothing about your dying is vanity. Live with purpose. Live with purpose because of the life that reigns in you in Christ Jesus. Make your life count for him. Knowing that he's got a grip on you, he's never going to let go. He wants to make this world beautiful through you. He wants you to, to open up and bloom in Christ Jesus and be the aroma of life to a world filled with death because he has conquered the grave. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible victory that you share with us. Thank you for your plan. Wow. Before time began, your word tells us that you made a plan of rescue. What an incredible plan it was. We thank you that that whole plan hinges on the fact that Christ really died and he died for our sins and he really was resurrected and he lives now that we could live as well. But God, I thank you that you're such a generous father, such a loving father that you share with your family everything you have. You've given us your son. You've given us your Holy Spirit. You've removed everything that separates us from you. And you've promised, Jesus, that even now, you're preparing a place for us. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, I pray for anyone who still stands at that crossroads, wondering, is it real or not real? Is the resurrection true or not true? That, God, you would give them the grace to see the reality of how Jesus truly has changed the world and the living hope that reigns in him, that there would be, each one of us would come to you in faith this morning and embrace the greatest gift ever given, that for us, Christ has died. For us, Christ was buried. And for us, Christ was resurrected from the grave. And because of that, we live. We thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.